Good morning. Let's come back together, find our seats. It is always a joy to come together and worship, praise God together, sing together, study His Word together. As um, Patrick prayed, um, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and it is, um, I believe today is the actual 50th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, which we praise God was overturned this year um, because it was, uh, it created, amen, <laughs> created, quite frankly, an unconstitutional right to abortion that was never in there and um, just was wrongly decided on so many different reasons, not, um, not the least the moral reason and the biblical reason. And so today we want to still continue to um, fight the fight for the sanctity of life, life that is made in God's image, as we've talked about in years past, life that is precious to God, and we want to support life from from womb to tomb, sometimes we say, From, from conception to death, these lives are created in God's image. And so we take this Sunday each year to remember the sanctity of life but also to highlight um, some of the ways that we are helping and trying to participate in this. And one of the the agencies that we support as a church is Horizon Pregnancy Clinic. And they they do a wonderful work with um, moms that are pregnant, that are either abortion-minded or just need help, or uh, really they they will love, love the moms and show them Jesus if they'll come in, no matter their circumstances and then point them to a, a direction that is pleasing to God. And so today we um, want to show a little video that they have that shows their ministry a little bit, shows how many lives were saved by their ministry last year. And um, then we have Karina um, from Horizon here to share with us a little bit of what they're doing. And this is all part of what I believe is our God-given mandate to um, support what God supports, to love what God loves, and to be salt and light in this world. So let's show that video. Created in the image of the Creator, a promise, a masterpiece, a life. On January 22, 1973, a decision was made in our nation to legalize abortion at any stage for any reason. Forty-nine years later, that decision was finally reversed. Forty-nine years of prayer and perseverance. 49 years of being a voice for the unborn, proclaiming their humanity and their possibility. 49 years of striving to reach their moms and dads, proclaiming theirs hope and a future. 49 years of waiting for life to be upheld in our nation. And here we are. This January is the first post-Roe in our nation. Roe versus Wade, as we know it, is no longer. As we grieve that loss of over 60 million lives and the devastating cost to their moms and dads, we give thanks for the lives that will be saved and protected from this date forward. Because of this decision, already thousands of moms have chosen life. The lives of thousands of children have been saved. They will celebrate a first birthday. They will experience their first day of kindergarten, their first best friend, their first home run, their first dance, their high school graduation, and so many things beyond. We celebrate this victory. However, for us, it isn't the end of the battle. 
While Roe versus Wade was overturned in Washington, abortion is still legal in at least 17 states. Our state is one of them. In fact, more women in our state are using the abortion pill as regulations have decreased and access to the abortion pill has increased. And abortion tourism is real. Women are traveling here from states where abortion has been banned or restricted. They are coming to our community, seeking to be delivered from the crisis of their situation. Our world still loudly proclaims that abortion is the answer. We proclaim life. Our work is not done. We know there is a different choice, a choice that offers hope, healing, and a future for women and their babies. We want to make a difference. We want to be a light in the darkness for as long as abortion remains a thought in women's minds. Will you help us reach them? Wow. Please welcome with me Karina from Horizon. Good morning. It is such an honor to be here with you today. Thank you, Pastor Ron and the church for having us and um, giving us this time to just really share our ministry um, that God has opened this door for. I actually came out here a few years ago. I think I was pregnant or I just had a newborn. Um, I'm actually a Horizon Pregnancy Clinic mom. I went to Horizon um, in 2014 and... Just a little bit of a backstory. I grew up in church my entire life. Um, I mean, my mom was like, I grew up going to church at 5 a.m. while my mom was in prayer. She was the church secretary. She was the children's <laughs> ministry director. Eventually, I became the music worship leader at my church. And when I got pregnant, I was the music director at my church. And so, I mean, you could just imagine the shame and the fear that kind of came around that, like, oh my gosh, like my first thought was people are going to know that I'm living a double life. I'm over here trying to lead people into worship and I'm not living my life the way that God has asked us to. And so, um, with all transparency, I really thought about going down to a clinic and terminating my pregnancy all because I, what I I was worried about what people were going to say about me. However, I think the biggest turning point for me was um, somebody very close to me had two abortions in their life, and I had seen the effects of them, and I seen the depression that they carried for for decades, and um, they didn't even really face um, the effects of it until a few years ago, and I just remember thinking to myself, I don't want to go through that. Although being a, a single mother was my worst nightmare because my mom was a single mom of three kids, I chose, I was like, I'd rather choose that than walk around with depression and, and trauma and mental um, anxiety for the rest of my life um, and then maybe have it affect my children in the future. So I found Horizon Pregnancy Clinic. And although I did grow up in church and although I was a music director, um, I was very broken, and I grew up without a dad. My mom did the best that she could, super hard worker, but our family, 
I grew up in a broken home. And so, you know, I didn't know what it was like to have a healthy two-parent home. Um, I pretty much raised my brother and my sister, so I didn't really get to see, like, like an, my mom, not that my mom wasn't nurturing. She did the best that she could, but I didn't really know what it was like to just have that role of just pouring into your child. I always seen somebody trying to do both, and so I was very afraid. But what I love about Horizon is they're not just about, hey, you know, don't have an abortion. Just, just save the baby. No, let's help you make a decision. And let's help you create a healthy environment for this child. And so when I went, um, when I was there, and they still offer these today, they have education classes. So I got to take these education classes up until my son was a toddler. And in turn, with those classes, I earned points, and I was able to get diapers, clothes, a crib from their baby store, which to this day, um, I still have the crib. My one-year-old actually sleeps in it. I mean, it was, I knew that when I made that decision, when I made that prayer to God, I said, God, if it's your will, if you have a purpose for this child, then you have to see me all the way through. But if, not that God does this, but if you just did this just to teach me a lesson, well then, you know, don't let me carry the baby to term. God is so faithful to his promises, and I'm just so thankful for his grace and his mercy because I don't know where I would be today if I didn't know God. Um, so I found Horizon, and I mean, I had baby, I had diapers and clothes until my son was about 18 months, and I was a single mom, and I had a job. Maybe, maybe I made 400 bucks a week if I was lucky as a server. And so I say that to say this: that that pack of diapers, it brought me so much hope. It made me feel, you know what? Somebody loves me. Somebody cares about me. Because in that time in my life, I felt so hopeless. And I don't know if there's any any women in here who are single moms or, you know, maybe you felt left alone, but you know what that's like. Just for someone to leave groceries on your door. Or um, I remember one time I went to my friend's house and their mother slipped a $100 bill in my hand. and I was And I was pregnant with my son. And I said, okay, God, you're with me. And I believe that Horizon just really opens up the door for like that for so many women. Um, to this day, actually in just 2022, um, there were 623 moms and babies that were saved. And I, amen. And I, I intentionally said moms and babies because again, there are so many broken women that come in here. It's not enough just to save the baby. You have to save the mom, too. You have to nurture her. Because especially if you're a first-time parent, if there's parents in here, I think you would agree with me that the person that grows the most when you have a child is yourself. <laughs> I, I know that's, that's true for me. I have three kids, and I'm still learning something new every day. Um, we have had 3,798 clients walk in our door. We have had 1,836 parenting classes taken. And that is so significant because we have people out there who maybe like myself, they came from an unhealthy home and they said, I want to be better for the next generation. I want to be better. Why is that important? Because in the next generation, we'll think twice before they make un irresponsible decisions with their body that lead them to a choice of, am I going to have an abortion or not? 
Um, and then most importantly, we have had 78 clients recommit their life to Jesus. And since 2012, there have been 2,423 moms that have chosen life for their child. And so I'm just so thankful. Why, you know, compared to all the abortions that happen in a year, maybe 628, that may not seem significant, but it is because, because of my decision to keep my son. Um, I've been married for about four years now with an incredible man, and I want to give honor to my husband who's here today. <laughs> By the way, he hates that because he's a total introvert. <laughs> um, but, you know, God has, and it's not to say, look at my, not to say, not to give any glory to me, but look what God can do. He can take a girl from a broken home and because of a ministry like Horizon Pregnancy Clinic, it's changed. It's gonna, I'm believing it's going to change generations of lives. I made a decision for my son. And now I have two daughters, and you best believe I'm going to sit them down someday and tell them the realities of of abortion and 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 choosing life. And I pray that this leads on to that the next generation and the next generation. So, 628 babies that were saved in 2022 compared to the thousands that were aborted. It may not be significant, but one life. Look at the life of Jesus. It has been changing lives. You know. It will change lives for eternity. Um, something else that I really want to touch on is our um, is the abortion pill. That is the biggest way that abortions are happening. Um, you can go online. You can order it. Come to your house. I personally have friends who went to Proud Parenthood. They give them the abortion, and this is the reality. Um, they go in. They take the pill. They go home, and they suffer an abortion all by themselves. They're in the bathroom floor, and some of them hemorrhage. Some of them have to go to the hospital, and Planned Parenthood won't tell them that that's what's going to happen. They say, it's as easy as popping an aspirin. You're going to have a couple of cramps, and you're fine. But that's not true. Um, What we offer is we offer the abortion pill reversal. And we actually have so many stories of babies who were born after that abortion pill. And, you know, if you go online, you'll find false information. It doesn't work. There's birth defects. And that's not true. These babies are perfectly healthy. And we have moms who are eternally grateful to our clinic for offering that. And um, in addition to abortion pill reversal, we also offer abortion recovery. First off, I want to say, um, since we've been offering the abortion pill reversal, there have been 60, there have been 26 babies that have been born from moms who came into our clinic to have this abortion pill reversal. It's a whole crazy process. Honestly, we get a phone call. The minute somebody calls, we've got a doctor in there. We've got an ultrasound tech. We have a client advocate waiting at the door for that mom because time is of the essence. I think they have about a 24-hour window to save that baby. And so we're just so, so thankful for our volunteers who make that time, who will get a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning. Yes, I will drive down to Huntington Beach or Long Beach Clinic to meet this client because it is a life, just the way that your life matters. The same thing with these unborn child because the Bible says that I knew you before you were ever conceived and you're fearfully and wonderfully made. He says that the numbers on our head are counted. 
that I'm sorry, the hairs on our hair are the hairs on our head are numbered. That doesn't mean if one falls out, oh no, he's he knows. Oh, that was number one thousand eight hundred and thirty-seven hair that fell out of your head. So if he knows that, how much more does he care about the destiny of our life? And so, in addition to that, I also want to say which. Planned Parenthood won't also offer is our post-abortion recovery. If a woman walks in, says, I'm thinking about having an abortion, we sit them down, we let them know their options. You can parent, you, you can adopt, you can have an abortion, depending on where, how far along the mother is, we do discuss with them what that abortion looks like. We got to keep it real. If we don't, Planned Parenthood will, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll let, they won't keep it real, but they'll be quick to offer them the abortion. Sometimes, unfortunately, a woman will walk in and she'll walk out and she'll have the abortion. But again, unlike Planned Parenthood, we are there. We will call them up, check in on them. How are you doing? We will pray for them. At the end of the day, what our purpose on earth is to make disciples, right? That's, our, that's the commission from Jesus. How do we do that? By loving people. You know, if we say, oh, you decided to have the abortion, see you later. No, no, no. That's not what we're called for. We're a ministry. So people come in, they decide to have an abortion, call them up. We love you. We're praying for you. We offer post-abortion recovery counseling to walk you through this healing because you do need healing. Whether you're a Christian or not, you still need healing. And that is something that Planned Parenthood won't offer. And I'm not just saying that because I'm biased. I'm saying that because I've seen it. Because I've literally had personal conversations with people who have had an abortion, and they told me, what you do, what you talk about on your social media, Planned Parenthood didn't offer that to me. And I sat in my bathroom, and I sat in depression for months until I spent thousands and thousands of dollars on a therapist, all because I wasn't told, this is what's going to happen when I have the abortion. But Horizon Pregnancy Clinic offers this for free. They offer faith-based abortion recovery. They, and then we also have resources for non-faith-based abortion recovery. So I just want to encourage you today. We do have a table out there. Um, if the Lord leads you to it, sign up to be a volunteer. We have so many different positions. You can work closely with the moms. We need medical um, We need um, people with medical qualifications, nurses, ultrasound techs, doctors. But most importantly, we need your prayers. We appreciate the monetary donations. We appreciate the diapers. I'm telling you personally, I appreciate the diapers. Thank you. Because of churches like this, it gave me hope to go on when I was going through postpartum depression, when I felt like committing suicide because how am I going to raise a baby? But most importantly, your prayers are so powerful. And we couldn't be the clinic that God has called us to be without them. And so thank you for your time. Thank you, Karina, for sharing what Horizon is doing, your story. That is, that's hard to share. And wow, is it powerful. And the Holy Spirit can use that. Um, she said the most important thing that they would cherish is our prayers. And we are, um, we've been focusing on prayer with our unquenchable 24 hours of prayer and some of the other things we're doing. And so um, we'd like to stop right now and pray and pray for them. And what I'd like to do is start by just opening it up and just where you're at. Um, if you want to pray for Horizon, if you want to pray for the cause of sanctity of life, if you want to pray for our country and um, just anything around this issue, 
because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we're made in the image of God from the moment of conception. And so we want to stand as lights in this world and stand boldly on this issue because it is a, a, a God issue. It's a life issue. And so um, let's pray. Let's pray for Horizon and then the whole cause. But um, wherever you're at, if you would like to pray, go ahead and pray. Lord God, we lift um, Horizon up to you and the work that they're doing. I praise you that they're they're there and on the front lines and that we as a church, one of many churches, can partner with them and support them. Lord, I pray for each of the volunteers there, each of the workers there, as they come in contact with, with women in crisis. And this is a point in time, Lord, where you are, are crying with those women, weeping with those women. Your heart breaks. And so, Lord, this is a time where they may be open to the gospel, that they may be open to other options that they wouldn't be open to any other time in their life. And so I pray for the workers at Horizon that you would give them um, an ability to turn conversations to Jesus, to turn conversations and lives to you, Lord God, as well as to, um, through science and through the medical means, showing um, moms their babies and helping moms choose life and reversing abortion pills Um, the effects of that, and saving lives that way, Lord. I pray that you would save physical lives and spiritual lives through Horizon. I pray for a covering for them as they are on the front lines and laws have been passed that have targeted um, pregnancy clinics. And um, I know they're having to navigate all that. Give them wisdom to do that, um, to do that well. Lord, I pray for enough diapers for the moms and for moms going through these um, parenting classes, moms and dads, and for those that have had abortions that need your healing and need to know what your grace and forgiveness look like, Lord, I pray that they would find that there. Lord, help us to be on the front lines as well and not just think that we've supported Horizon and so our our, our job on this issue is done, but help us to know that we are salt and light and have conversations with people and to um, help turn a culture, turn the mindset of a culture to life rather than death, Lord. Lord, we, we, pray, we thank you that, that Roe was overturned, but we do pray for those states where abortion is still legal and now are, are having abortion tourism. We pray that laws would change, that the hearts of elected officials would change, Lord, that um, your truth would win the day. Lord, we thank you for the progress that has been made, and we pray for more progress in the year to come. In your name, amen. Thank you. Just for um, on the table out there is one of the ways that we love. Now, we support Horizon every month as a church, but there are these cute little baby bottles out there. And um, I can say they're cute because none of my kids are on bottle stage anymore. So, um, But these are, are banks. There's a slot there. And actually, if, if you want to put other things in there, like, checks or bills, you can do that. But we invite each family to take one of these and to put it somewhere prominent in your house where for three weeks, um, we're going to have a a baby bottle drive that they have provided for us. Any loose change, anything, this is a great chance to support life and give them an extra boost for some of the supplies that they need right now. Moms, dads, I encourage you to use this as a talking point with your kids. 
I know we don't have your young kids in with us because that is something we believe, moms and dads, is your job to talk to your young kids. This can be a great way to start to talk about life and in age-appropriate ways start to bring up this conversation. Um, Teens that are in here, you guys can do this too. I know what you spend on Coke and Starbucks. So um, change, there are ways that you can provide. And so please, let's come behind Horizon. But don't stop praying for them. Um, It can, when you're on the front lines, it is easy to become depressed. It's easy to become discouraged. And so pray for their hearts of the workers there. And thank you for joining us today and sharing that today. Today, I want to move into uh, uh, Acts again. And you may think, well, it's sanctity of life. Why are we covering Acts? And I know in years past, sometimes I've given us a defense of the pro-life position. Um, We've studied Psalm 139 together on sanctity of life. We've looked at Genesis 2 and what it means to be made in the image of God. We've looked at elder care as part of sanctity of life. And and this year, as I was thinking through um, what has happened with the reversal of Roe and um, with the Dobbs decision, and I'm watching our culture with this, and I am absolutely convinced that this fight is not over, that there is still work to be done. And in fact, what I'm seeing is almost a backlash, and I know some of you have seen it too, a backlash against the Dobbs decision and a renewed vigor that the pro-abortion side is making their case with. And in many cases, they are saying things that are not true, saying things that are not accurate to try to change laws in their favor. Um, What happened with the reversal of Roe didn't um, make abortion illegal. It left the decision up to the states. And as you saw in the, the video and Karina shared there are still a number of states where abortion is still legal. And and why I wanted to stay with Acts this week is this little chunk is a point in time where Paul is finding the, the cultural waves of the time against him to the point of he is about to lose his life. And at the end of today's passage, and I'm giving, I'm giving away today's passage, Paul uses the law and, and wisely and shrewdly uses whatever means he has to advance the work of God, to save his life. But it wasn't about saving his life. It was about preaching the gospel in Rome. He had been promised by God he would preach the gospel in Rome, that lives would be saved there. And yet again, and and we're, we're seeing this every week, right? There's a threat to Paul's life. Satan is desperate to stop the gospel from going to Rome. And we saw that Paul was sent to Caesarea from Jerusalem, Um, That saved his life. And Governor Felix there kept him there for two years and wouldn't decide his case. And so that's two years of waiting for the promise of God to happen. Then last week we saw at the end that Festus now became governor. Felix is out. And and so Festus, wouldn't you love that name? Festus, a great name for your kids. Anyone that's thinking of kids? Um, And um, I would love to do a baby dedication with a Festus. Just saying. Okay. So Festus is now governor, and by all accounts from the historians of the time, we don't have a lot of information on Festus, but Festus appears to have been an honorable and fair governor, which was very rare in the the Roman Empire. So turn with me to Acts chapter 25, and I want to look at how Paul dealt with yet again a situation where he is being attacked and falsely accused and lies are being told. 
how he responded, and then like to pivot to thinking back to sanctity of life. Okay, what can we do within our culture? What can we do within the, the law? How can we be using every means we have available to be supporting the cause of life? And so while this text doesn't specifically deal with the sanctity of life, it deals with an example of using, shrewdly using the means you have to advance the work of God. And that's the primary application, but that's where we're going this morning. So Acts chapter 25, and we'll move through this pretty quickly today. Um, I'm going to start with verses 1 through 5, and, and the, the first nine verses are going to sound familiar. This is the end of Acts where we see Satan attacking the same way over and over and over. Quite frankly, he's not very creative in trying to kill Paul. And so this is going to sound familiar. These are actually different stories, though. So this is two years later. It's not the same story being retold. And so um, Felix has just been deposed. Festus has been put in. And we read in verse 1, Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, which was Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Now, just to give you a little bit of history and context here, again, they're about two days apart, a two days journey. And um, Caesarea was acting as a type of capital, a, a type of Roman center of the region. But Jerusalem was considered one of the most important cities of the region. And especially to the Jews, that was the most important um, city. Festus's job is to keep the peace. And um, Felix just lost his job because of fights and riots between Jews and Gentiles. And so Festus has this idea, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to figure out what's going on because I need to keep the peace. And so this is, this is a wise man. And so he goes up to Jerusalem to check out one of the most important cities in the region. Get to verse 2. And the chief priests and the principal of, of the men laid out their case against Paul and urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Different ambush, different attempt to kill than what we saw last week. It's it's just the same thing again. But, But catch what's going on here. This is two years later. Paul has been in prison for two years. Festus goes to Jerusalem. What's the first thing they hit him with? We got to kill Paul. Well, they don't tell him that. We need to uh, try Paul again. Can we bring up Paul's case? Now, how much do you have to hate a man for two years to go by where he hasn't done anything and that's the top of your mind is we're going to take Paul out. And that is how much they hated God's work and how much sin can deceive. Point number one, and I, I don't think I ever filled in your blank for you, Hate, sin, and opposition to God festers and enslaves. Hate, sin, and opposition to God festers and enslaves and causes us to to be bitter, causes us to remember things that we shouldn't be remembering, causes us to lie, causes us to make up things. And and really, that's in in many ways, that's what we're seeing with the the sanctity of life issue and the pro-life issue. The pro-abortion side just hates the pro-life side. And so they are believing lies and saying all kinds of things. And so there are all kinds of, of crossovers here that we experience in culture today. Yes, no one has an ambush for you on the way home to try to kill you. But as believers standing up for the cause of Christ, we have people against us every day. 
And so they, they have not let this go. They, this plan certainly would have cost Roman life again um, and, and would have killed some soldiers. This would not have been good for Festus. And they are going to try to take Paul out outside of the city where the leaders can't be blamed, get some, some men to do it. And so we've gone from now 40 guys that made an oath to try to kill Paul to now the leaders are leading the way. The, the anger has, has grown. It has festered. Just like if you have a festering wound and it's not treated, it grows and it gets worse. It gets uglier. And that what has happened, that's what has happened here. Verse 4 and 5. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. Basically, he's saying, Paul's still back at Caesarea. I'm about to go back. And so in verse 5, he says, So he said, Let the men of authority among you go down with me. And if there is anything wrong about this man, let them bring charges against him. Now, Festus knows he has an issue here because you have the leading um, religious leaders of Judaism, of Jerusalem, that are opposed to Paul, that are asking for this to happen again. He's just stepped in, doesn't know all the details. Again, his goal, his primary goal is to keep the peace. You have this group that's angry and powerful, and you have Paul. And so he can't just say, you know what, I'm going to blow you guys off. We're not going to worry about it. He has to give it a hearing. But what's interesting to me is just the thought, why wouldn't the religious leaders let this go? Why were they still after Paul? And, and I come back to the spiritual battle is, is that Satan knew that Paul was going to be going to Rome and was going to be taking the, the gospel to Rome. He had already founded many, many churches. And so Satan, in his hatred for God, would do anything to stop it. On a human level, these men were enslaved by their sin. And that's what sin does. It enslaves us. It festers. Opposition to God and his truth does the same thing. It festers and grows. You can think of any cultural issue of the day that is is contrary to Scripture, not just the abortion issue, but God's beautiful design of gender and marriage and, and all of the frontline issues. It's getting harder and harder to reason with people. And there's more and more denial of truth and outright lies about these issues. And that's because sin deceives. It blinds us. On an individual level, hate and anger do that. Unresolved anger leads to a cold anger, leads to a bitterness. It leads to a hardness that only through God's forgiveness can we let go. And so sin is bondage. That's what we see again in these Jews in Rome. It's an unresolved issue. Point number two. Sorry, I'm skipping ahead on some things. Unsurprisingly, Paul endures the same accusation cycle yet again. And and I read I read Acts and I read the end of Acts, and sometimes the end of Acts gets a little repetitive. And sometimes I'm like, okay, I can skip some of these chapters. It's the same thing. But the Holy Spirit put that in Scripture because it's the same thing, to show the fight, to show the depth of the fight. And so we get verses 6 through 8 that Paul endures the same accusation cycle again. After he stayed among them not more than 8 or 10 days, and that, that was Festus, he goes down to Caesarea. 
And the next day he took a seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. So he hears the case right away. One of the first cases he hears. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against them that they could not prove. Now, now get the picture here. The, we're still in the praetorium of um, Herod's old, old palace. And Paul is brought in to be charged. And the Jews, and, and the way that Luke words it, is they surround him, they come around him, and they start pummeling him with accusations all in front of Festus. And so you have this person saying this, and this person saying this, and this person saying this. And Paul's counsel, oh wait, Paul's alone. And, and so the, this, this is the way the trial is going. Luke adds, they couldn't prove. Lots of accusations that they couldn't prove. And the tense there of the words is this idea of continuous, unsuccessful attempts to prove charges. And so the idea is, let's try this charge. Oh, that didn't stick. Let's try this charge. That didn't stick. Let's attack its character here. Let's do this. And so this time the Jews, in their hatred and in their their love of sin, have just escalated their attacks to falsehoods and all these attacks, and, and nothing is sticking because nothing is true. And village, don't be surprised at this. Don't be surprised when our viewpoints coming from Scripture are made fun of or laughed at. Don't be surprised when we are called old-fashioned or bigoted or out of step or extremist or religious fanatics. Because those are all ad hominem attacks to try to defeat someone when you can't defeat their argument. John 15, 20 and 21 said, Remember the word I said to you. This is Jesus speaking. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If you're here this morning for a health and wealth gospel where if you follow Jesus, you'll never have any more problems. It's not what Jesus taught. It's not what scripture taught but we're to be on the front lines for the truth of God. And Jesus said, they persecuted me. If you're following me, they're going to do the same thing to you. Don't be surprised. And with this issue, we can't be surprised. I've engaged a number of friends. I've engaged a number of people online over the issue of abortion and life. And it gets ugly pretty fast. And the accusations come pretty fast even when with arguments made in a winsome manner. Because there is a, a, a hatred towards truth and a love of self. So Paul here is standing around. And, and again, the, the charges seem to be the same charges. So Luke doesn't get into it like he has in the past. And, and it seems to be the, the same old charges of teaching against the law of Moses, defiling the temple, and insurrection. Those are the ones that keep coming up. And so Paul actually deals with those three in verse 8. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. And so Paul here 
as part of his defense, just very wisely. And this is a, we're, we're pretty sure that Luke is summarizing at this point because he's given us the blow by blow a couple times already. And he's summarizing, but, but Paul here comes and says, according to the law, I haven't done any of these things and no one can prove it. No one has offered any proof. No one has substantiated any claims. I have not done these things. And so we come to the last point. Paul wisely uses the law to defend and advance God's work. And this is the point that is like, okay, that's just sort of using what means you have to advance God's work. That's not very exciting. That's not like frontline stuff where we're going out and and doing crazy things for God. The simple wisdom of using the resources God has given us to advance his cause is an amazingly exciting thing. Roe being overturned did not happen in, in one week. That happened with years of work and effort, analyzing the law, coming up with arguments that would win the day, analyzing the Constitution, affecting the culture and affecting the cultural winds and the ideas. And so here in verse 9 through 12, we see Paul sort of change the narrative and use some of the means that are at his disposal. Verse 9, But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? And and the idea here is Festus is like, I I have this dilemma. I have these people that hate each other, or at least the Jews to, to Paul. They are powerful. I need to ingratiate myself to the Jews because I'm new on the job. And so I've got to win some points here. So he says, Paul, what about if I just send you to Jerusalem and then I'll try you there? Right. And, And the idea is that Festus has sort of already decided this. He doesn't have to give Paul's permission at this point. He's decided this, but he's trying to play both sides. Favors are are very helpful in politics, and he's trying to earn one here. But yeah, don't worry, it'll be before me. Paul, and and all the indications here is, Paul knows that if he goes to Jerusalem, either his life will be taken or Festus will cave and give him over and his life will be taken. And so we get to verse 10. But Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. And he brings up the law of the land. He's a Roman citizen. This is where I should be tried. I'm in the right place. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. A little bit of a dig there. And then verse 11, if then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. And what Paul is doing here, he knows he won't get a fair trial in Jerusalem. He knows he hasn't done anything wrong. And he, he mentions that to, to Festus again. In verse 11, he acknowledges submission to the law. If I deserve to die, if I've done something that deserves to die, I will come under the law. I will obey the law. But at the end, he said, I appeal to Caesar. And one of the things that was allowed at the time was a Roman citizen could appeal their case to a higher court. In this case, the next highest court was Caesar in Rome or or Caesar representing the court. 
It would go in front of the emperor or one of the, the emperor's um, delegation. The emperor at the time, by the way, was Nero. Um, remember Nero that burned Christians and, and all those things? Now, the commentators were quick to say these, this was in Nero's early days before he went to the dark side. And um, he was a fair, pretty fair leader considered at the beginning. And, um, but it's still Nero and still the emperor. And so Paul uses a law that was not often used to appeal his case because he, he's innocent. There is no case, but he's about to go where there's no way to win. And he appeals his case to advance the promise of God. You will go to Rome and you will preach the gospel. See, Festus, he's of the mind that favor with the Jews is more important than one man's life. And in a worldly way of thinking, that's probably true. But not in God's way of thinking. And so in this case, it looks as if the magistrate had no option but to send Paul to Rome. This decided it. A Roman citizen had appealed to Rome and said, that's where I want to go. Verse 12, then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, probably about, can he do this? Is this legal? What, what are we doing? He answered, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. And what's interesting is Paul was promised by God he would go to Rome. This gets Paul on the road to Rome. But he also does it in a way that this is a way out for Festus. I understand the political intrigue here. Paul has just given Festus a win-win. He now has a way to get rid of the problem, not anger the Jews, and say, hey, I tried for you guys. And so in shrewdness and in wisdom, Paul not only appeals to Rome, which, which advances the cause, but he does it in a way that Festus is going to agree. And Festus does agree. And Paul was going to be sent to Rome. That's the story this morning. Paul uses the law. He uses every means available to him and and logic and arguments to advance the cause of Christ. A couple of things. Number one question sometimes was asked, was Paul right to do this? Shouldn't he have just sat in jail and waited for God to work? Well, do you remember what we talked about last week of waiting on God? Waiting on God is always an active an act of obedience in scripture, not a passive sitting and waiting. Waiting on God is actively obeying God and doing his work where we're at, trusting that God can control the future. And so in this case, was Paul right to use whatever means, whatever right means were at his, as, at his disposal? Absolutely. Absolutely. God instituted governments and we're allowed and called to work within that. And, and think in terms of even today, we, we have a governmental system. Can we work to be salt and light in that governmental system? Or should we just withdraw and say, ah, Satan, do your worst. God, do your best. No, we are called to be active and to be part of that, to vote, to write letters, to work to create laws that support the purposes of God. John Calvin once wrote, God who has appointed courts of law also gives us people liberty to use them lawfully. It should be obvious, right? But yet sometimes we're afraid to engage politically, engage, afraid to engage um, as citizens because we're not sure it's spiritual. 
but we're called to be salt and light. And on issues like this, what we're, what we're considering today, we need to do that. William Wilberforce is a great example of that. If you haven't seen the movie Amazing Grace, I encourage you to watch that. He, for years, for decades, worked within the British Parliament to try to end slavery. And he had to come up with all kinds of creative ways to, to use the law and create laws. And finally, he was instrumental in bringing it into slavery in the British Empire. But he did it within using wisdom and shrewdness within the system. And he was a believer, strong Christian. And God allowed him to do that. And was Paul right to do this? Yes. One of the other things is God had told Paul, this is where you need to go. And so he knew the will of God. Considering, and in the last few minutes we have, considering sanctity of life. Can we use some of these same principles of using whatever means available, whatever right means are available to support the cause of Christ, to support life being made in the image of God and protecting life? And the answer is overwhelmingly yes. And just on the the back of your notes, I have seven quick points that I just want to mention to you and then you can think through. The first is we need to pray fervently over this issue. The battle does start on our knees as we prayed today. Pray that human life would be valued by our country. Pray for the end of abortion in all states. Pray for our our country and political leaders. Pray for pregnancy resource centers like Horizon. Start with prayer and pray fervently. That is always the start of the work of God. Second thing there, update your education on the pro-life position. Um, There are a lot of new arguments being made, a lot of false arguments being made. Um, In some of my discussions, I've I've been told that many states now are are killing women because they are trying to support life of babies and that doctors are no longer allowed to preserve the life, life of a pregnant mom if her life is legitimately in danger. Absolutely false. There is no state in this country where that is true of. But that's one of the lies that's being told to try to protect the right to abortion. We need to know why we believe what we believe, Village. And, and you need to update yourselves on their arguments. Go back to Psalms 139. Know the biblical um, support uh, for life. But also know the science and logic. Um, there, this, this argument can be won on science alone easily if we do the research and if we do the work. I put a couple of QR codes there, one to a sermon that we did that talked about a lot of the science, another to a blog post that we did um, dealing with voting, which, which is one of the other points. Um, ultimately, the pro-choice, the pro-abortion side is saying that our position is religious-based, and how can we force our religion on others? We can counter that village by showing the science. And actually, I think it's pretty easy to logically show the pro-abortion side is more religion-based. It's just not Christianity. It's a whole different discussion we can have. Number three, don't be afraid of pro-life images or conversations. We are trying to change a cultural mindset here, not just the laws. And we've got to have conversations to do that. Hard conversations, people, conversations where people may disagree with us. But our goal is to make abortion unthinkable, not illegal. 
And if we can do that, then we can start to change and protect life in completely different ways, radically different ways. What we've seen post-Dobbs is it seems like that cultural mindset is shifting a little bit. And, and so we need to be on the front lines shifting it back to life. And we need to vote. And, and that one's obvious. I know that one's on everyone's list. No pro-choice candidate can be trusted to serve their constituents well. And that's what that blog post gets into a whole lot of reasons why. But we need to vote and vote for life. Um, support agencies like Horizon who are on the front lines, both financially and with time. Out there on the table is also a way to, to volunteer, a way to support with time and some of the needs that they have. And so take a look at that. Spend some time at that table today. Um, write to your elected officials and write again and write again. This is sort of taking cues from Paul here as he's using legal arguments and painting his um, accusers into corners. Keep writing. Seventh and most important, support women who are pregnant no matter the circumstances. Don't forget the moms who are in distress, who are scared, who aren't sure what options they have. As a church, if we're pro-life, then let's enable life. Let's support her and in ways that are meaningful and legitimate and make it possible to keep that baby and not have to do it alone. And so we, as, as, as churches, need to be not just saying that we hate abortion, but how can we love these moms and show grace and help them? who are at some of the most distressing times of their life. I need to end. But think about these things. How can we work within the law? How can we work within the system? How can we work to change culture, to be salt and light? And let's make a difference for our Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, Lord, we lift this issue up to you. These are souls we're talking about. Souls that are being cast aside, lives that are being cast aside. And so, Lord, just as, as Paul again was accused and again found ways to, to work within the system and make his appeal and advance your cause, Lord, help us to do the same things on this issue. Not the same issue, we know that, that, but an important issue. And help us find ways to advance your work in everything we do, God. In your precious name.